believe that every time we gather together, it matters. I don't take lightly the preaching that I do to you. It matters what we do. And we have been given a unique opportunity in this hour. And God is with us. And not only do we need His help, He's going to provide it. The Lord talks about in the Scriptures of a time that is coming. He calls it in Malachi the great and dreadful. Dreadful meaning terrorizing, fearful, frightening day of the Lord. In the New Testament, it goes by a phrase, the great and notable day of the Lord. Notable bringing the idea of conspicuous. A day that stands out. A day that you ought to pay attention to. It's noteworthy. It's something you ought to mark. If you were given the date of it, you for sure should mark it on your calendar. Not just as an event that's going to take place but it's something to prepare for. Typically, we put events on our calendar so we can prepare for them, so that we remind ourselves, I have to do that. I keep a calendar, and I'm referring to it quite frequently. Get a lot of events going on in my life, and I have to look at that. And sometimes to put a new event, I say, let me look at my calendar because I have to look if this will fit here and there. But, But even my calendar will remind me, this is coming up. I can set a reminder. But I'm telling you that there's a day coming. There is a day of wrath and judgment that is coming upon this earth. We call it the period, and when we talk about this day of the Lord, it at times refers to the entire period of, of judgment and wrath because it, 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 it covers a period of time, and yet it is seen as a whole because its intent is in, in many ways directed and singular from the purpose of God. But it is, it is not sometimes referring just to that or, or to that period of judgment, but the culminating event of that period of judgment, which is the return of Christ to this earth. So that there is a period of judgment that is coming upon this earth. Russia and China and Turkey and Greece and England and America and the continent of, of, of North America, all of this, uh, and South America. I'm telling you, all of these, uh, we've got these continents, we've got countries. Uh, I will tell you that the entire world is about to be plunged into a day of wrath. The Son of God is not, I believe, so far from laying His hand upon a book and unloosing or loosening the seals of that book and bringing his judgment upon an earth that has rejected him and has blasphemed him and has told him they do not want him and has disavowed him and denied him and crucified him and he is about to exercise his divine authority as sitting at the right hand of God and bring a judgment upon this world that will shake up to its very core it will be a judgment unprecedented it will have greater ramifications 
vacations than Noah's flood. It will be a day like no other day has ever been, and it will never be repeated. It will not, it will be a unique event in time and it's going to span a period of seven years and it's going to involve the nations of the world. And it will be a time of trouble like man has never known. A time of dismay, a time of darkness, a time of terror, a time that men run to the rocks and the mountains in fear and cry out and say, hide us from the wrath of the Lamb that sits upon the throne and would rather die than repent. They would rather go to hell than repent. They would rather be under judgment than turn their hearts to God. An unprecedented time of obstinance. But that event will culminate. It will not simply fizzle out. It is a preparatory time. It will not simply reach an hour in which it just dies down and people walk among the rubble and then begin to ask themselves, how do we rebuild? What a devastating time when a battle's been fought. I think about the people of England. We've never seen it come to the shores of America with the exception of our civil war. But really, we have been spared much of the devastation that comes from war. But had you been an Englishman, I will tell you when World War II ends and you walk down the street and you see the bombed out buildings and you see the places that you used to frequent, the homes, the beautiful edifices, and they're nothing but a pile of rubble. And there you think of all the work streets that have to be cleared and you begin to think, can life ever become normal again? Can we return? But we seem to do it. We seem to pick up. If you would have walked out on the beaches of Normandy, France after that battle that great D-Day invasion and the beaches are littered with tanks the beaches are littered with armaments they're littered with bodies I mean there's all kinds of things and you think how can we ever get back where we were but they will not do that when the tribulation is over they will not walk the fields and say how will we ever go back where we were how will we rebuild because you see it won't be the end of that age it will not be man returning to a former state. It will not be man rebuilding his governments. No sir, when that day has come to a close, the heavens are going to open up and like the greatest lightning bolt that has ever hit this planet, the Son of God will open the heavens and he will come like lightning shining from the east to the west. Every eye will see him. He will come riding upon a white horse having on his head many crowns. He will have a name written that no man knows but he himself, his name is called the Word of God. He will have on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He will tread the fierceness of the winepress of the wrath of God. It will be a bloodbath. He will exterminate men and women upon this planet and the blood will run like a river down through the valleys. And when he sets his feet upon the Mount of Olives outside of Jerusalem, it will cleave in two and it will run and the valley will extend to the Mediterranean and to the Dead Sea. He will build a new temple. He will build a new city. He will erect a new world. I'm telling you he's going to now put up his government. We're not going back to the old. We're not starting over. We're not rebuilding. We're going to have a new age. A new age is coming to this world. A kingdom is going to come to this earth and it will never be destroyed or defeated. Those are real events. 
and they are going to happen. It's as sure as I'm preaching to you here this morning that God did something. He said, before that happens, I'm going to send you Elijah. Before I come to this earth and bring my judgment, I'm going to send you somebody that can turn some hearts around. And as a prototype in the New Testament, before he comes, he said a, a man was sent from God. It's not the same man, but he had a similar mission. His name wasn't Elijah. His name was John. He came in the spirit and power of Elijah, but by his own confession, he was not Elijah, but by the proclamation of Jesus, he was a type of Elijah. That if men could receive it, if men could spiritually perceive what God was doing in that hour, and they could see that Christ was God in the flesh, who will have not one coming but two, who will come and redeem his people and forsave them and draw out a remnant for his, by his grace and for his glory before he smites the earth so that John will be a type of Elijah. God has done that through history. He is sent oftentimes before he brings the real, he brings a type. Before Christ came, we had a Moses. Before Christ came, we had a Joshua, we had a Joseph, we had a David. Oh my, we had an Isaac. Before the Father makes his way known, we've got an Abraham. I'm telling you, God will often do something in type. Even right now, God is right now in type, if I will. And in reality, the church is among this earth as the present expression of the kingdom of God. Jesus is alive and well. He sits at the right hand of God. He is on the throne. We we are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. We are under his rule. He led this service this morning. We're not guided by some politician. We're not guided by some personality here. We have been led by the Holy Ghost of heaven and by the Lord Jesus who sits at the right hand of God. An invisible hand has led this service today to bring us right here in this moment. While the world is protesting, we are worshiping. While the world is doing their thing, headed head, headlong into the judgment of God, we are here. And God spoke to us this morning to be sent out to warn and to do some things before that day comes. In other words, before the final curtain closes, before the seal is unleashed, there is a time of mercy, and God sends someone, a prophet, to wake people up and say, is there anyone yet? The day of judgment's on the horizon. The king is about to come. Is there anybody here that would like to wake up in the middle of the empire, in the middle of the mess that's going on, that you'd like to realize, hey, this isn't just about nations in conflict. This isn't just about a clash of cultures. This just isn't about men doing their thing, making their monuments, and writing their story. There's a king. There's a sovereign. He is in hand. He is administering the ages. He is directing the paths of men. And we are going to a city. We're going to an eternal kingdom. We are headed for the place that God has destined us to be in. 
So I want to tell you, listen carefully now. I want to take that thought and I want to use John's ministry and tell you that that day of tribulation is yet future. And Christ's second coming is yet future. But it is nearer than when we believed. And we are here to prepare the world for the coming disaster. Not to build a bunker. The bunker's already been built. It was erected at Calvary. Woo, glory. <laughs> Hallelujah. Not to build an ark. It's already been built. Noah built his, but you won't build this one. God built it, and he built it at Calvary. We're here to let folks know there's a hiding place. Noah hid from the storm. There's a place where you can go and hide. There's a place you can escape the wrath to come. There's a place you can flee to. There's a refuge. Oh, glory. There's a rock that you can stand on. There's a shelter from the storm that's on the horizon. And God built it at Calvary. If you'll hide yourself in the rock, if you'll go to the cross, you can find a refuge in the time of trouble. Here's my challenge to you. First of all, I want to challenge you in reference to our times. I want to challenge you to do something. You may think this is out of place, but you hear me very quickly this morning. I want to challenge you to number one, to read history. I started to say it, and I, I said part of it in a, in a minister's sermon I was preaching here recently. And I realized after I got done preaching, I never went back and finished my story. I'm going to finish it now. I was listening to a, a, a professor preach out of Hillsdale College, or teach, I should say, in a course about the rise and fall of the Roman Republic. And he talked about how that today everything is, is magnified to be the worst ever. And he said, and people believe that. They believe that their day is unprecedented. They believe that their day is, is no one's ever went through it before. No one's ever had that kind of problem before. And he said, but this happens because we are often ignorant of history. And we don't read history. We don't teach it as we ought to teach it. Our times may be difficult for us. And they may be difficult times. And they may be unique to our experience in our lifespan, in our lifetime. Because in our short 20, 30, 40, 50, whatever, 60 or 70 years, it has not been seen. And yet maybe it has been seen and you're just not aware of it. But at least in your personal experience, it may be a time of unprecedented difficulty. And I am not doing away with that. I understand that. I am not by any means saying that our times are not difficult and our times are not challenging. But I am going to tell you that we have been here before as humanity has been to this place before. And this nation has been here before. But we are often ignorant of it because we do not read history. In other words, I've never seen the racism and conflict at a time, at a time like it is right now. That's probably because you weren't alive in Detroit, Michigan in 1943. In the middle of World War II, racial tensions were at an all-time high in the factories. Many black people were being brought into factory positions, and racial tension 
was high. There was segregation. It was a time of segregation in our country. And they went into the, into the factories of Detroit. They lived in their own communities. But Detroit was bringing so many of them in. They're trying to ramp up wartime production um, and the conflict and the clash and the prejudice between blacks and whites grew till finally, long story short, you can read about it. It was called the Detroit Race Riots of 1943. Lives will be destroyed. Homes will be destroyed. Millions of dollars of damage because of the content or the, the conflict between blacks and whites. You'll find it again in Mobile, Alabama in the same year 1943. There were many race riots that took place during that time period. Sometime in the 60s, we know about the civil rights movement. I'll tell you, when those things were going on, they filled the news. I can take you back to a time long before that, in 1844, and the conflict between Protestants and Catholics, and the Bible riots in Philadelphia, I believe, in Pennsylvania. Whenever, whenever they, they, the Catholics were fussing and the Protestants want only the King James Version Bible to be read in the school and the Catholics do not want their children listening or reading the King James Version Bible. They want them reading from the Catholic Bible and yet in the public schools they are reading from the King James Version. It came a time Catholic churches were burned. Protestants got, got vehement and, and, and reached out and prejudiced against the Catholics and they're known as the Bible riots of 1844 read about them. I'm telling you that our nation has been rocking and reeling before. I can take you to 1921 and what came to be known now as the Tulsa Race Massacre of 1921 in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And you can talk about a time. Now the now the, the historians that have studied it, then things seem to be buried by the papers. But it was a situation again between blacks and whites. And whites went into a black neighborhood. I think if my memory serves me right, there were over 1,200 homes that were lost. Now they think the death toll was somewhere between 100 and 300 people that were killed and slaughtered during that time. And, and, it, and, the, and the, it was it's something that became a very difficult time in American history. I can take you to the prejudice again that existed in 1943 in the streets of Los Angeles between the Latinos and between the American soldiers. It came to be known as the Zoot Suit Riots. I'm not have time to explain all of that, but I'm telling you that they killed and that mayhem and rebellion and prejudice and war and conflict and violence. They did then what they're doing now. They broke into businesses. They crashed their windows. Broke their glass. They pillaged. They pilfered. I'm not in any way justifying what's going on now or saying that we should ignore it or saying, oh well, what's here is here. This too shall pass. I don't believe that. No, we got to respond to it. The church cannot be indifferent to its culture. It cannot not be indifferent to its day. I'm just here to tell you that God led the church through 1844 and God brought the church through 1921 and God will bring the church through 2022. I'm here to tell you that the one on the throne in 1943 is the one on the throne in 2022 and if violence fills the land there will yet be a light that will shine out and we will bear witness unto the Righteousness of our King and our God. First Kings 19 and 14. Look at it. Turn your Bible quickly. First Kings 19 and 14. Our times parallel the times of Elijah. When God said he, he first sent Elijah, it was preparatory to judgment. 
But he said three things. He mentions three things. He mentions, number one, they've forsaken, Lord, your covenant. They've forsaken your covenant. Now, you must understand the covenant were the Ten Commandments. To forsake the covenant was not simply to say, we don't want to walk with God anymore, or that we are not a people who identify with Jehovah. It is to leave the law. In other words, lawlessness prevailed in Elijah's day. They cast off the Ten Commandments. Hello, if we have that in our day. Yes, we've had the battles. We don't want the monuments. We don't want to be reminded of thou shalt not kill. We don't want to be reminded of honor your father and mother. We don't want to be reminded of thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. On and on and on, thou shalt not covet. No, I tell you what, when they forsook the covenant of God, they threw the Ten Commandments out the window, and they said, well, we will erect our own morality. We will be our own law. We will now live as we want to live. We will not believe and hold to this idea of the word of God and the covenant of God. We are going to do our own thing. Lawlessness prevailed in Elijah's day. An abandonment of moral absolutes. Secondly, he said they've cast down your altars. They did not cast down God's altars to, to forsake religion. They cast down God's altars to build a new altar. An altar to their God. An altar to the gods of the nation. An altar that they would erect and they would go and they would bring him their altar. Put aside the altar of the Lord. In other words, it will no longer be worship as, as God is identified. It will be worship as man wants. And idolatry is brought to the people of God. In Elisha's day, it is not Jehovah, the head of the nation. It's Baal. It is not the God that brought them out of Egypt. It's the gods of the nations. It's the gods of Sidon and the gods of Tyre, the gods of of the pagan nations of the world that they're there. We're there. We're in the church world today, liberalism and apostasy and compromise. It's not worship God's way. It's worship the world's way. It's not seeing what God would ever sing. It's seeing what makes us feel good. It's seeing what brings us into a seductive and pleasurable experience. I'm here to tell you, we live in a day of idolatry and idols have taken over the house of God. What are we going to do in the face of this? They've cast down your altars. And Lord, he said they've killed your prophets. There's only reason you want to kill the prophet. Because you don't want to hear what God's got to say. The world doesn't care about the prophet that tells them what they want to hear. The world doesn't kill the prophet that is a relativist. And that's what's happening here. It's relativism. It's the idea that there is no sovereign God who has an absolute message and has an absolute plan for man. That our lives are relative. We can follow our culture. We can follow our day. We can do what we want to do. Silence that voice of truth. Silence that voice of moral absolutes. Silence that voice of condemnation. Silence that voice that will not tolerate our homosexuality. Silence that voice that will not endorse our sin. Silence that voice that will not bake our cake and endorse our same-sex marriage. Silence that voice that comes out and declares to us that we are responsible to this God a Jehovah will have nothing to do with it. We will relate to the world around us by our own perspective, by our own eyes, through our own human understanding. Relativism has taken over our day. We don't want truth. We don't want to hear the word of God. We don't want to thus saith God. We'd rather listen to an expert and a psychologist. 
transgenderism, abortion, defunct leadership, spineless leaders, feminism, which is soon to be lost in the obscurity of genderless language. I keep wondering how they're going to make it because they're shooting themselves in the foot. They don't want to call it a woman. Then what happens with women's rights? I heard some of the comments by some of our senators. Women are going to stand up. Our bodies, we're women, our bodies. How's that fit in a transgender agenda? Because you don't even know if your body is a proper woman's body. Maybe you're not even a woman. We're not even sure what a woman is anymore. I'm not sure. Well, I do know why, but how is it that it's only women to focus on that? Well, look out, buddy. We're coming next, Benny. Well, if it's what is a woman, how about what is a man? We're next on the agenda. Wars are taking place. Russia and Ukraine. Inflation would seem going crazy. Although it's not as high as it's ever been. If you were around in 1778, inflation was almost 30% in the Revolutionary War. If you were alive right after World War I in 1917, inflation was over 20% in this country. Violence, sexual promiscuity. But you hear me right now. Sin will always wear you out. You can't maintain the pace. You can't maintain the lifestyle. Woo, glory. You ain't got enough body. I'm going to tell you that sin will start breaking down your brain cells. It'll start breaking down your body. And soon that body that's out there doing it will no longer be able to do it any longer. Soon you're out there and you're able to go here and you're able to go there. But I'm telling you to break you down. Oh, yes, now we're the object of their animosity. Now they can take out their anger on us. But if they move us out of the way, then who are you going to take it out on? The problem is not us. The problem is their anger and their lack of peace with God. You have no peace with men because you have no peace with God. I'm here to tell you somewhere we need to know Christ is coming. Wrath is coming. The day of the Lord is coming. And it's time for us to announce to the world there's a Redeemer. There's a Redeemer. Sound the alarm. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Take your Bible to Luke chapter 1 quickly. Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. I'm going to try to bring this to where we are. You know our day is difficult. But God has not been caught unawares. Luke chapter 1 speaks about this John the Baptist. Speaks about how many would rejoice at his birth in verse 14. Verse 15. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. This is the first thing that you and I have got to do. I'm going to speak to, first of all, our own personal experience, our own individual character and value. The first thing we have got to make priority in our life is to be approved of God. John wasn't great in the sight of the Pharisees. John wasn't great in everybody's eyes. But in the sight of God, he was a great man. Hallelujah. I'm not interested in the stamp of approval. 
of a decadent culture. I'm not emphasis, or interested in what the politician can endorse in our church and whether we endorse him and whether he endorses us. I want one endorsement, and that's the endorsement of the Holy Ghost. I want one seal. Woo, glory. I want one stamp, and it's the stamp of God upon us that we are his and we belong to him. And God says, that's my son and that's my daughter. I want to be approved of God. We have placed the emphasis upon studying the Bible. But that is not so much uh, the emphasis uh, when Paul will tell Timothy, study to show thyself approved uh, unto God, a workman uh, that needeth not to be ashamed. Uh, yes, it is going to involve uh, his knowledge of the word, uh, but the idea was not so much that he becomes a scholar or that he becomes a student per se uh, and that he gains all of the proper knowledge of scripture and doctrinally has, has doctrinal correctness. Uh, the word study there does not necessarily mean to apply yourself to the books. It may involve that and will but it means to be diligent it's a word that says that you're going to make this priority number one you make it your first priority Timothy that in what you do you are approved of God you be diligent to be approved of God and he said this you can rightly divide the word too many times we study the word to defend our own position to approve our own self he said when you go in at Timothy you seek one thing you want to come out under the approval and the stamp of God that you are right in his sight. Quit worrying about what people think about us and concern yourself with what God thinks about us. Hello? Secondly, he said that he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, but he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. These two Paul put together in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. While a priest was serving, this is the son of a priest, and while a priest was serving in the temple, he was not allowed to drink any wine or strong drink. He had to separate himself from the fruit of the vine. If you were to be a Nazarite, you had to separate yourself from the fruit of the vine. We are going to be a people. Whose mind, when you talk about wine and strong drink, the tendency, the tendency is to bring the man under its influence. The taste is so savory. The effect is so pleasurable. The senses are numbed so that the man can lose himself in the wine, so that the man can hide from his troubles in the wine, so that the man can escape his responsibility in the wine, and so that the wine brings him under an influence, and now his reasoning has become faulty. He is under the influence of an intoxicating drink, and I'm telling you the result of that is that now he doesn't think straight. He doesn't react properly. He doesn't reason properly, and we as the people of God will not allow anything to affect our logic and our reason but the Holy Ghost we want to be so filled with the Holy Ghost there will be no emotion there will be no anger there will be no self-centeredness nothing there will be no technology there will be no social media nothing is going to be allowed to get on our table so that we drink of that affects our reasoning and our thinking we will desire the logic of scripture we will think biblically we are going to be a people devoted to biblical thinking in a biblical worldview you hear me? Neither John nor Elijah could fulfill their mission without the Holy Ghost. There was a pivotal moment in this service this morning. 
And it was that message in tongues and interpretation. Just flip this thing. Take the Holy Ghost out of this morning's service. And we've got nothing. We're trying to piece something together. We're trying to hold something together. We got no power to hold together. We're trying to fight an enemy we can't see and we can't outwit and we cannot outdo. No, sir. Not in and of ourselves that there is a power. There is an advocate. Hallelujah. There is one who comes in the name of Christ and to live and dwell in our house and to make us his holy temple. The Holy Ghost will make us a powerhouse for God. We may not be any match for the devil, but he's no match for the Holy Ghost. Glory to the Lamb of God. When our wisdom fails, he knows what to say. When we're at wit's end, he knows what to do. When we are weak and cannot go on, his hand is mighty. When we are folks who are ignorant, his wisdom is sure and secure. Let's make certain that this church does nothing to grieve the Spirit. That we do not despise the prophesyings that came forth this morning. That we quench not the spirit. But that we yield ourselves and we say, Holy Ghost, this is still your hour. Woo, glory. You're still the comforter. You're still the one that feels us. I'm telling you, when John came out there, he was full of the Holy Ghost. Oh, yes. He did no miracle. But my, what he said of Christ was a mighty thing. I'm telling you, that's the kind of power we need. It may produce a miracle. It may not produce a miracle. But one thing it'll do, it'll reach a heart. It'll transform a life. It will do what humanity can never do. It'll reach where humanity can never reach because the Holy Ghost is Sovereign in his work, in his way. Thirdly, last verse. Chapter 1, verse 80, and the child grew, speaking of John the Baptist, and waxed strong in spirit. We've got to become strong in spirit. Your spirit is your human spirit. It deals with your attitude, your character. It deals with your thoughts. Your mind is the chief aspect of your spirit. It deals with your, your perceptions of things. It's through your spirit that the Holy Spirit leads you. The Word of God makes an appeal to your spirit. Paul said, We manifest ourselves in every man's conscience. Your conscience is in your spirit. The Word doesn't appeal to your emotion. Anybody can strike up an emotional note. A band, a musical instrument, a flamboyant personality, a charismatic personality can flame the emotion. But only the Holy Spirit can touch the conscience. Only He can reach into that place because God doesn't want you to serve Him on the basis of emotion. He wants you to serve Him on the basis of faith and reason. A faith that is not grounded in a feeling, but it's grounded in the fact of God's Word. Woo! Glory to God. If your faith is in a feeling, if your faith is in what you felt, what you feel will change. But the Word of God doesn't change. My faith is in a principle, in a person. My faith is in the God of the book. I'm telling you, it's got to be built on that. That you and I have got to have a spirit that's strong. We can't be wishy-washy. We can't be up and down. We can't be a people driven by emotion. We can't be a people led by feelings. We've got to have our nose in the book. We've got to hear the voice of the Holy Ghost. We've got to keep our spirit clean so God can talk to us.
He's not here to yell above the voices of the world. Elijah, I got a word for you. He's distraught. He's struggling. But he's kept himself in a place that he can still hear from God. God says, I want you to walk out to the mouth of the cave. And he walks out there expecting to hear from God. The wind blows and rocks the mountainside. Nothing. I didn't hear God in the wind. How many times have folks felt wind and thought God's waiting? Because you're listening more for the feeling. You're following the shaking under your feet. And your spirit's out of tune. Fire comes back. Nothing. No. Moses heard him in a fire. In a flaming bush. But you're not Moses, Elijah. All of a sudden, Elijah, what are you doing? Why are you here? That's what it was. A calm, quiet voice. Still, calm, quiet, collected. The wind wasn't calm. The fire wasn't calm. A small voice, very low. He stood there and received the instruction of the Lord. That's what we got to do. We got to be strong enough in our spirits that although the wind is blowing, the earth is quaking, and the flames of false doctrine are burning all around us, the world, it would seem, is crumbling at our feet, and our temptations to run, our temptations to hide, that we will stand like a rock and say, I'm not moving till God speaks. I will not leave this cave until I hear the voice of God. Woo, hallelujah. And God then speaks. And when his instruction is clear, and when God tells him what to do, and he knows where to go, too many people run when they don't know where to go. You ever see people that run before a storm? If you, you've seen it, I don't care whether it's been through a movie or whether it's been through some footage that was filmed of live video footage. You've ever seen it when there's a, when there's a bombing? If You saw it after Hiroshima and Nagasaki and the atomic bombs and you see people just running. Now, where are they running? They don't know where they're running. They're running over here just trying to get away. But you might run from the frying pan to the fire. If you just run, you might not know where you're running. Come on now. Oh, yeah, Elijah, if you take off running now, if you get afraid now, you're done, buddy. You don't run until you have instruction. We need to know where we're going. We need to know why we're going there. We need to know what we're doing. We've got to be strong in spirit. Hear me. Too much to preach. Listen. Jesus asked him this question. When they came and they doubted about John the Baptist, he said, because John is in prison, he doesn't understand. He sends some disciples. Ask Christ, are you, sure, are you the one that should come or do we wait for another? You know the story. And then John's, Jesus says, 
Because you could see the people's minds begin to, and their opinion of John begin to diminish. Hey, what's up with John? He's the one that told us that this is the Lamb of God. He's the one that said, here's the Holy Ghost baptizers. He changed his mind. Something going on. And Jesus says, hey, 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 hold on. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaking with the wind? <laughs> Let me tell you, buddy, right now. That man sitting over there in that king's prison, he's out there. You know why he's out there? Because Herod, it wasn't because of Herodias. That's not why he's in prison. That may be, have a connection to it later. But he probably, Josephus will record that Herod thought John has such influence over the people that he's going to cause an uprising in Jerusalem. He's going to cause an uprising in Israel. And the best way I can check it is to shut him down now. I'll put him in prison because he was a politician. That's what Herod was. He's a politician. And he says, I can put that guy in prison and there will be no danger of him uh, uh, bringing some kind of insurrection and uprising to the people. So he shut him up in prison. And, of course, he had reproved Herod. There's no doubt about that. And Herod understood the kind of man that he was. I'm just telling you so that here is this man. Then Herod has locked him up and put him away. But I'm telling you something. He isn't a man that's lost his faith. He just doesn't understand. There's some things about it that he doesn't get. He's trying to put two together in the scripture and he can't quite put it together. And he needs a little bit of direction. But I'm telling you, that man's spirit hasn't wavered. That's what it's got to be. The world is not going to come in here with people who haven't made their mind up about what they believe. Somewhere we got to make our minds up. Are we a holiness people or not? Are we Pentecostal or not? If you're rethinking your doctrine because someone states something new, every time some new challenge comes, you're rethinking what you believe. You better get to the rock. You better get strong in spirit. You better not be a reed. You need to become an oak. You need to stand firm in God's word. What did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft clothing? In other words, they were not attracted to John because he vacillated and they were not attracted to John because he was effeminate. Imagine that. A world attracted by strength and masculinity. You hear me and you listen carefully to me, boys and men. Don't you get caught up in this mess because that junk is about soon to go under. I will tell you, when all that transgender garbage and all that effeminate garbage and sissy ways, when it all folds up and they realize it's a house of cards, it's an empty shell, it's got no value, it's got no substance, there's nothing in it that's worth following. I'm going to tell you where they're going to look around and say, well, what else is there? I'll tell you what we need. We need someone to stand up there. Hey, I can not only tell you what a man is, I can show you what a man is. Oh, no. I don't want them folks aren't going to leave their homes. They're not going to leave their places of abode to go somewhere to see something wimpy and sissy-like and effeminate. We need a masculinity and authoritative voice. We need a powerful stand. We need a sure foundation that we speak to this world with clarity, with precision, with power, with confidence, without wavering. We are the church of Jesus Christ. (sighs) 
me see if I can get this fairly quickly. Three things. I'm challenging us, this church, our ministry. I'm challenging my brothers and sisters at Locust, North Carolina. Three things I want to emphasize from John's ministry. Number one, we got to be a voice. A voice. Roe versus Wade got overturned. And the voices cranked up. church was not called to be silent. The church was not called to be opinionless. The church was not called to be neutral. The church was not called to be tolerant. The church was called to be a voice crying out of the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Repent and turn from your sin. Somewhere our voice has got to cry out with a clear cry. It's got to come from the wilderness. I'm amazed. I'm astounded at this. You hear me very much. Here is a man who will not go into the temple, though he probably could. It hadn't been but 30 years that his father was serving in the temple whenever he got the message that John was going to be born. I'm telling you, but John is going to go. He will not go to the temple and make his announcement. I don't know how he started it. The word of the Lord came to him. I imagine some folks were down washing clothes. I imagine some folks were down there maybe bathing. I don't know what they're doing, but they're down in the area around Jordan, about a 150-mile stretch of territory that John's going to minister in. But he marches out one day. He doesn't go into town. He doesn't go there. Why? I'll tell you why. Too many voices. Woo, glory to God. Listen, sometimes you need to shut down the social media. Sometimes we don't need to be just another voice on social media. Sometimes I'm not worried about live streaming our service because I want to get them out of that atmosphere. I want to get them out of that mess. Come where you can focus on God. Get away from your junk and come to a place where you can clearly hear the voice of God. It may get to the place where we have to ban every cell phone at the door. I think I'll be the first one to vote for it. Sitting in church reading the text. You can't hear the voice of God because you're listening to the voice of everybody else. We can't even shut down the voice of social media long enough to hear God. We can't hear shut down the voice of this world long enough to hear God. Somewhere, we need to shut that mess down. John went out there while they're just out there in the day, ordinary day. I can see him walking down to the Jordan and just standing out there and some folks are like, Hey! Repent for the kingdom of God. Oh, they'll think you're crazy. There will be some think you're crazy, but there's somebody's been listening for the voice. Somebody wants to hear something new. They want to hear a voice that comes out of the past and relevant for the future. And I'm telling you, the prophet of God lifts up his voice and he cries aloud and said, Prepare, the Lord is coming. And it gripped them. John came out of the wilderness. His life was separate, but it was relevant. I don't know when he went to the wilderness, but he'd spent enough time in that culture to know its priesthood was corrupt, to know the sins of the Pharisees, to know the sins of the soldiers, 
to know how publicans acted and to know in general that the people were self-centered. John knew his day and he knew the sins of the people. And yet he was aloof from it and separate. You hear me? You listen very carefully to this. When John lifted up his voice in that wilderness, he became a connector. He became a reviver of the old and a forecaster of the new. He became a bridge between two covenants and two generations. For 400 years, the voice of the prophet has been silent. There's been no Elijah. When Malachi uttered that last word, that I'll send you Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He'll turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest they come and smite the earth with a curse. And then when he sounded that last word, the pen went into the writing desk. The scroll was rolled up. And the Old Testament scriptures closed. And the voice of the prophet fell silent. Nothing. They will pray. God will do things. He will manifest his presence. But there will be no one come out of the wilderness with a clarion call. There will be no one that will walk into an Ahab and say, no one will march into Alexander the Great and say, you're not going to do this. No one will look at Antiochus Epiphanes uh, as they did to Ahab and as they did in, in, in Babylon's day. There will be no Daniels uh, who are going to be a prophet and declare to them, this is your dream. This is the answer to it. This is what's coming in the day. There'll be no Ezekiels. There'll be no Jeremiahs. There will be no dealings with prophets. They will have to deal with priests. They will have to deal with regular believers. Oh, but Antiochus Epiphanes, a, a, a one who was a leader of the, uh, uh, the, I think it's the Ptolemaic Empire uh, or the Syrian, whichever one it is. But, but nevertheless, in all of this, uh, as they come together and they defile the temple and they wrestle with the Jewish people and you've got Maccabees uh, and that rebellion and revolt that takes place uh, and all that goes on. God never abandoned his people, but he did not talk to them uh, by the voice of the prophet. Uh, but now the time has come. God's going to visit the planet. Oh, the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Judgment is about to fall in Jerusalem. Oh, you've got a temple that Herod's built. You've got a restoration of your priesthood. You've got a beautiful complex. You've got your political influence. You're able to worship God in liberty. But I'm here to tell you, it will not be long that the city will fall and the city of Jerusalem's coming down and decades and centuries will go by and Israel will not be a nation. They will won't have no place upon the earth. They will be a scattered people. God's judgment was about to fall and God resurrected the voice and said cry aloud. Help me Jesus. You just have to bear with me a moment. John connected the generations. Listen. He's only 30 years old. He's not considered among the wise elders. He's 30 years old. He's a young man. And he shook his world. 
you young people listen to what I've got to say right here. I want to say a couple of things. I want you to listen carefully to me. Number one, John wasn't raised in a pagan home. John never knew what it was to do drugs. John never knew what it was to live a sinful life. He never sold his wild oats. He was raised in a home of believers who were some of the most faithful people on the planet. When God chose a voice, he chose one untarnished and untainted. Don't you let the devil trick you and make you think that somehow you can't relate to that drunken age because you've never been drunk. You can't relate to that doped up age because you've never taken drugs. You can't relate to their sexual promiscuity because you've maintained your purity. Don't you ever let the devil tell you that kind of lie. Here's a man that's never known a woman. Here's a man that's a pure virgin. Here's a man that's come out of a pure, righteous home. Here's a man with a godly mother and a godly father. Here's a man that's been full of the Holy Ghost from the womb. And when that man marches on the scene, he knows what sin is but not by experience. He knows it by spirit. And I'm telling you, when he speaks, they got to listen. The voice can be clear. When God raised up a Wesley to turn England around, he raised up a man that didn't come from the ghettos. He came from a Christian home. He came from a home that had been a godly home under the tutorage of his mother, Susanna, under his father's pastorate. You hear me right now. We don't have to go out and touch that world to condemn it. We don't have to participate. We don't have to endorse it. We don't have to be like it in order to convict it. Let's be a voice. Hallelujah. I've said this here. I'm going to say it again. I'm not being arrogant. You need me. You need me. See that guy right there? That bald-headed White-haired guy right there. You need him. You see that old gray-haired song leader over there? That still dresses from the 70s. And he'll wear his shoes out when you went through 14 pair. He'll still have on the same ones. He'll drive that yeller forward out there, even though he don't like them. And he'll keep that baby running because he don't care about your sports car. And he don't care about your fancy things on it. And you look at him and say, that's this old John. You hear me? You need him. But now I want to tell you, Pastor Cottle and John Hooten, and Dan Woods, and Sam Spiker, and Al Leggett. We need these guys. We need you. Amen. We need your flame. Let's not get too high and mighty, old folks. Then God needed someone to lead an army. He couldn't find them in the king's house. He had to find a little shepherd boy. Goliath wasn't killed by a 60-year-old experienced veteran. Woo! He was killed 
by a boy with a sling and a stone. Glory. A young man. Yes, sir. It was the fire and the zeal of youth. He wasn't ready to lead a nation. He wasn't ready to be king. But he can take out a Goliath. Oh, yes. Sometimes we're too measured. Sometimes we're too reserved. Sometimes we old folks are like, I just don't know. That's going a little far. Somewhere we need to say, hey, young man, I'm going to guide you. I'm going to give you some wisdom. But you need a heart of flame. I'm with you. I'm not going to be one of the ten spies. I'm going to be a Caleb. I'm going to be a Joshua. I'm going to stand up and declare the word of the Lord. Come on. Take your sword and let's do it together. Don't underestimate this 80-year-old Caleb. Because I'll hang with the best of them. <laughs> Come on, boys. You might only be 20. You might be 25. You're feeling your vigor. But I've known God longer than you. Woo! I've been in more prayer closets than you can count. I've had more hours and time than you've had. You need my wisdom. I need your zeal. Let's fight together and win this battle. Hallelujah. 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 Let's quit disconnecting the generations. I just can't relate to those snot-headed kids. Well, you listen, old timer. You better start learning to relate to them. Because they're going to bury you. They're going to dig your grave. And they're going to preach your funeral. Well, if you're going to preach mine, you better know me. I had no intention of preaching my own funeral. I've intended to preach in a lot of places, but that's one I'm not going to be. All right? You may be it, son. God may call you. I don't know. But if he calls you to preach my funeral, you better get up there and tell them about a legacy. It says, this pastor handed me a torch. He didn't say, I'll get, you can have your contemporary worship and I'll keep my traditional worship. He kept the fire in it. Oh, glory. Hallelujah. You see, that's what John did when John came out of the wilderness. He didn't resurrect a new law or enact a new law. He resurrected the old law. Woo, glory to God. God didn't bring on a new prophet with a new sort of clothes and a new design. He brought him in the same spirit and power of Elijah. Come on out here. We're in a day of Jezebel's. We need some men who's got a voice that's masculine and powerful mm. you better not run for me when I come and sit down with you boys at lunch don't you snicker I want to hear what's going on in your life I want to hear about what you face I want to know what you're seeing and I want to give you some guidance I don't want our old men in the corner we can do it once in a while these golden oldies can get together and reminisce and have our good times. That's, that, that's appropriate on some occasions. 
something. I'm telling you something right now. I want to see you young boys. Right now when the men sit on that back table back there, go in there and sit in beside them. Squeeze right in between Cotto and John. Yeah. Just squeeze right in between them. And don't snicker when they tell you about them old days. I hear it all the time. I don't care. I'm going to tell them anyway. I went through four or five feet of snow, walked ten miles just to get to school. And I'm, yeah, yeah, you laugh, buddy. You laugh. Your day's coming. You're, I hope I'm alive. I hope I'm alive when my grandchildren are 35. And when they look to their mom and dad and laugh at them at the clothes they wore 30 years ago. As I promise you, I'd just like to be alive. And when I hear it, I'll say, Lord, you can take me now. I'm good. Hallelujah. I want to hear it. I'm telling you, it hasn't changed. You may not like how John is dressed, but you need that voice. You need that power. You need that experience. You need a man that hears from God. Woo! Glory! Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The hoary head that shuts out the zeal of youth is already destined for the grave. Now you listen to me. There's no, we're not going to do, okay? We're not going to throw out tradition just because you want to do something different with that. I'm not going to pitch out this hymn book just because church down the road did. No, I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. We're going to grow up in the church. It's going to sing them songs, but they're going to sing them to dust. And you know what else we're going to do? We have a song leader whom I really appreciate. You've got some steps to fill there. Yes, you do. Who's still learning new hymns and teachings? Who isn't stuck on just keep on the firing line and when the roll's called up, you know, good songs, but they're not the only ones in there. I always wondered growing up out of 400 songs, we couldn't sing but 15. Now, some of them in there ain't worth too much, i got to admit. But there's a whole pile of them in there. But the spirit's right, and the harmony's right, and your spirit's right. And you sing a new song. We're going to listen. We're going to listen. But we're not going to endorse the world. We want to show you something. Songs in this book were here before I came along. Whew, I feel the Holy Ghost. There was a fire that God handed to me. I didn't see it as something old and dumpy and traditional and ritualistic. I tell you something, a fire got set in my heart. And I began ministering at 20 years of age. I was filled with a zeal for God. I didn't have a lot of knowledge, but I had fire. 
And it's a whole lot easier to direct fire than start one. And you know one of the best ways that the firemen use to direct fire? They use fire. Our problem is we think the only way to deal with fire is water. <laughs> yes, sir. Every time we see some fire, we just throw water on it and crush it out. Every time we see some zeal, we drown it. We don't want to hear that voice. No, sir. I don't want to shut it down. I want to direct it. So I tell you what, I see your fire heading in the wrong direction. I'm going to start a fire to head you off. Woo, glory. <laughs> so when you meet here, you can go another way. Glory to the Lamb of God. I'm here to tell you, John attracted them all. He attracted young and old alike. Like his message was real, it was right, it was relevant, it was powerful. We don't have to back up and we don't have to be irrelevant. We got a message, we've got an eternal God, we've got a sovereign God. He is not unwise, He knows where we're at. Let's build the church together. <laughs> 